is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. By the way, folks, did you want to know who the favorite, what the favorite TV show in America is for the North Korean generals? The favorite TV show for, Amer- for uh, North Korean generals in America is The Morning Joe on MSLSD, The Morning Schmo. NBC News correspondent Keir Simmons, he landed a rare interview with a North Korean military official, writes The Hill, and learned that officials in the communist country watch Morning Joe, specifically for reports and discussions about their country. So the North Korean generals, who are advising the inbred who runs that country, uh, are getting their information from the Morning Schmo, Mrs. Schmo, and the conga line of freaks and morons who are on that panel. Now that's pretty scary. Very scary. I bet they watch uh, Rachel Maddow, too. That could explain her ratings. She's very, very popular among the communists all over the world. That's what I hear. Okay, there were two... Well, the, the case of John Kelly wasn't a speech. It was a statement. But there were two statements today that I want to talk about. One is by former... I should retired four-star General John Kelly, Marine General, Chief of Staff to the President, and one is by former President George W. Bush. And I want to start with John Kelly because it was only a couple hours ago. We spent a lot of time talking about the President's call to the widow of the uh, of the brave hero who was killed in action in Niger. I told you then, and we all agreed, most of us, there's no way the president called to be disrespectful. It was very odd that we had a left-wing coup congressman who hates the military uh, listening to the show, uh, listening to the call, rather. And uh, the congressman's own comments about what was said in the call contradicted themselves. In the second instance of what she said, I thought it was actually... uh, very appropriate if the president said what she said he said. But what's General Kelly think? General Kelly who lost a son in Afghanistan. Well, he went to the podium today because he wanted to talk about this. And he is disgusted with the congresswoman. He is disgusted with the politicization of this process, which we all are. And, of course, Kelly came under attack uh, on the favorite network of the North Korean generals, that would be MSLSD, and of course the Constipated News Network. General Kelly, cut three, go. Who are these young men and women? They are the best 1% this country produces. Most of you, as Americans, uh, don't know them. Many of you don't know anyone who knows any one of them. But they are the very best this country produces. And they volunteer to protect our country when there's nothing in our country anymore that seems to suggest that selfless service to the nation is uh, not only appropriate but required. But that's all right. Um, Who writes letters to the families? 
typically the company commander, in my case as a Marine, the company commander, battalion commander, regimental commander, division commander, secretary of defense, typically the service chief, commandant of the Marine Corps, and the president typically writes a letter. Typically, the only phone calls a family receives are the most important phone calls they can imagine, and that is from their buddies. In my case, hours after my son was killed, his friends were calling us from Afghanistan, telling us what a great guy he was. Those are the only phone calls that really matter. And yeah, the, the uh, letters count to a degree, but uh, there's not much that really can take the edge off what a family member is going through. Cut four, go. So um, some presidents have elected to call. All presidents, I believe, have elected to send letters. Um, if you elect to call a family like this, it is about the most difficult thing you could imagine. There's no perfect way to make that phone call. Uh, when I took this job uh, and talked to President uh, uh, Trump about how to do it, my first recommendation was he not do it uh, because it's not the phone call that parents, family members are looking forward to. It's a nice to do, in my opinion, in any event. Uh, he asked me about pre previous presidents, and I said, I can tell you that President Obama, who uh, was my commander-in-chief when I was on active duty, uh, did not call my family. That was not a criticism. That was just to simply say, I don't believe President Obama called. That's not a negative thing. Uh, I don't believe President Bush called in all cases. Um, I don't believe any president, particularly when the casualty rates are very, very high, that presidents call. But I believe they all write. So when I gave that explanation to our president three days ago, um, he elected to make phone calls in the case of the four young men who we lost in Niger uh, at the earlier part of this month. But then he said, you know, what? how do you make these calls? Uh, if you're not in the family, if you've never worn the uniform, if you've never been in combat, you can't even imagine how to make that call. But I think he very bravely does make those calls. So as you can see, a phony scandal was created by a left-wing kook congressman, and it didn't matter to the media. They ran with it. Anything to try and smear the president of the United States. You can, there are things you can criticize the president about. This is not one of them. Go ahead. I was stunned when I came to work yesterday morning and brokenhearted at what I saw a member of Congress doing. A member of Congress who listened in on a phone call from the President of the United States to a young wife and in his way tried to express that opinion that he's a brave man, a fallen hero. He knew what he was getting himself into because he enlisted. There's no reason to enlist. He enlisted. And he was where he wanted to be, exactly where he wanted to be with exactly the people he wanted to be with when his life was taken. That was the message. That was the message that was transmitted. It stuns me that a member of Congress would have listened in on that conversation. Absolutely stuns me. And I thought, at least that was sacred. You know, when I was a kid growing up, a lot of things were sacred in our country. Women were sacred. 
and looked upon with great honor. That's obviously not the case anymore, as we see from recent cases. Life, the dignity of life, is sacred. That's gone. Religion, that seems to be gone as well. Gold Star families, I think that left in the convention over the summer. But I just thought the selfless devotion that brings a man or woman to die on the battlefield, I just thought that that might be sacred. Not to the left, nothing sacred, except the left. Last clip, cut six, go. In October, uh, April, rather, of 2015, I was still on active duty, and I went to the dedication of the new FBI field office in Miami. And it was dedicated to two men who were killed in a firefight in Miami with, against drug traffickers in 1986. Got my name of Grogan in uh, Duke. Uh, Grogan almost retired, 53 years old. Duke, I think, less than a year on the job. Anyways, they got in a gunfight and they were killed. Three other uh, FBI agents were there, were wounded, now retired. So we go down, Jim Comey, get an absolutely brilliant memorial speech to those fallen men and, the, and, the, and to all of the men and women of the FBI who serve our country so well and law enforcement so well. Uh, there were family members there. Some of the children that were there were only three or four years old when their dads were killed on that street in uh, Miami-Dade. Um, three of the men that survived the fight were there and gave a rendition of how brave those men were and how they gave their lives. And a congresswoman uh, stood up, and in the long tradition of empty barrels making the most noise, stood up there and all of that and talked about how she was instrumental in getting the funding for that building and how she took care of her constituents because she got the money and she just called up President Obama and on that phone call he gave the money, the $20 million to build the building. And she sat down and we were stunned. Stunned that she'd done it. Even for someone that is that empty a barrel. We were stunned. But you know, none of us went to the press and criticized. Uh, none of us stood up and were appalled. We just said, okay, fine. So I still hope, as you write your stories, and I appeal to America, that let's not let this maybe last thing that's held sacred in our, in our society. A young man, young woman going out and giving his or her life for our country. Let's let's try to somehow keep that keep that sacred. But it eroded a great deal um, yesterday by the uh, selfish behavior of a member of Congress. There's a man speaking from his heart, from his soul, from experience, and there's many in this listening audience who know exactly what he's talking about. And the sad fact is, and I really believe this. That while the vast majority of Americans really do sincerely cherish these young people who've died in the line of duty, there are a percentage of people among us who don't, just don't give a damn. They just don't care. It doesn't affect their lives. It doesn't affect their welfare, they don't think. It's all about politics, all about power, all about gimme. All about redistribution. I'll be right back. Mark 
Democrat Congresswoman Frederica Wilson. We know her from the goofy hat that she wears. The Florida Democrat, this is from Fox, who criticized President Donald Trump this week for being insensitive toward the widow of a U.S. soldier slain in Africa, might be facing similar concerns and criticisms herself. Turns out, she has frequently voted against measures intended to help veterans and their families, According to VoteSmart.org, a vote tracking site whose founding board members include former presidents Jimmy Carter and Gerald Ford. The measures that Wilson opposed included a bill that could have ensured that families of the four soldiers, of four soldiers slain in Afghanistan in 2013 received death and burial benefits. In fact, Wilson's voting record on veterans issues may call into question the sincerity of her recent defense of U.S. service members and their families. Despite her claim to be committed to honoring our service members, not only with words but with deeds, quote-unquote, she has voted against most bills ensuring continued funding for veterans' benefits, including payments to widows of fallen soldiers, the vote-tracking site shows. She has also opposed measures designed to improve the Department of Veterans Affairs. In March 2013, Wilson opposed the Consolidated and Further Continuing Appropriations Act, which prevented a government shutdown and provided funds for the U.S. military and the VA. The bill, which passed with bipartisan support and was signed into law by the Obama administration, provided funding to the military and the VA until the next government shutdown, showdown. She despises the military. She stands by her statement that the president was insensitive in all the rest of it. In all the rest of it. But that's who she is. Also, she has been repeatedly calling for Trump's impeachment. So the North Korean generals, who are such big fans of the morning schmo and Mrs. Schmo, I'm sure they were big Big fans of this congresswoman, too. She's a disgrace. She's a kook. An absolute kook. And the fact that the media take this issue like MSLSD and CNN and run with it. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to have a long discussion about the First Amendment one day. Who actually supports the First Amendment and freedom of press? We, you Levinites, or those who who drape themselves in it and pretend to support it. You and I believe strongly in a vibrant, objective media that holds the government to account. A vibrant, objective media that stands by our constitutional system, not only freedom of the press, but all the other aspects of the Constitution. Is that what you get from MSNBC or CNN? Is that what you get from CBS, ABC or NBC? No. You get partisanship, left-wing partisanship, propaganda, dressed up as media, and then they wrap themselves in the First Amendment. We now, as citizens, not only have to hold our government to account, we have to hold the media to account. And then when you try to hold the media to account, not through any legal schemes or trickery or anything of the sort, by pointing them out, by condemning them, by naming them, All of a sudden, it is you who oppose freedom of the press when it is you who reveres freedom of the press and all the rest of the Constitution. In a large way, we don't have freedom of the press in this country. We have freedom of progressives who are in the press. 
Now, unlike some callers who call into this program, no, I don't believe the government can step in and do anything. That's why we have a First Amendment. That said, you and I, we can step in. We can call them out. We can call out the perpetrators by name. We don't have to listen to them. We don't have to watch them. We don't have to believe them. And more and more, you don't. And more and more, you don't. But to take this issue, this issue of this brave soldier who was killed in Niger, for a congresswoman, it was so weird. We pointed it out yesterday, and General Kelly points it out today. What is she doing listening in on a phone call from the President of the United States to a widow? She's a political hack. The President is talking from his heart to a widow. And this congresswoman is listening in and immediately politicizes it. Immediately. And she's celebrated by the liberal media in this country. Celebrated. She should be condemned. Where's Bob Corker today? Nowhere. Where's John McCain? Is he condemning her? Nowhere. How about George W. Bush? Nowhere. None of them. This congresswoman should be condemned. Who's condemning her? Other than me. Other than you. Any Republicans condemning her? I haven't heard them either. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the George S. Patton of Talk Radio. Call him at 877-381-3811. That's 877-381-3811. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have, uh, you heard, Chief of Staff Kelly, retired four-star Marine General. Now, I want us to listen, not in comparison, it's a different matter, but still, a speech, in part, not going to play the whole thing, by George W. Bush. Now, George W. Bush doesn't give a lot of political speeches. Um, he was very, very quiet, if not completely silent, when it came to the Obama administration. It, it always bothered me. It always bothered me that he never came out and defended uh, his foreign policy, considering all the men and women who fought to advance his foreign policy. He really never came out and challenged Obama on those issues. Obama repeatedly uh, violated the Constitution or skirted the Constitution. He never gave a speech about that that I'm familiar with. If he did, it certainly didn't get a lot of attention. And that bothered me. Bothered me a lot. But here was the uh, President George W. Bush at the George W. Bush Institute in New York City today. And in all fairness, this is just some clips of what he said during the course of his speech. Cut 11, go. Too often we judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. Forgetting the image of God we should see in each other. We've seen nationalism distorted into nativism. We've forgotten the dynamism that immigration has always brought to America. Stop, 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 stop. Nationalism versus nativism. Now, he's not talking about nationalism per se or, or much more generally. He's talking about nationalism as it applies to immigration. So now, those of us, you know, they're saying this is an attack on Trump. I don't believe that. This is an attack on all of us 
who said throughout the Bush years and before and after, we need to control our border. This needs to be managed. We need to have assimilation. You cannot have a nation state if you do not have effective, secure borders. We are benevolent people. We are a tolerant people. And what troubles me about a statement like this is, too often we judge our other groups by their worst examples. Is that not exactly what he's doing to those of us who raise legitimate questions about the violations of existing immigration law? Is that not when you call us nativists doing exactly what you just said you shouldn't do? I'm not a nationalist. I believe in Americanism. Go ahead. Confidence in the value of free markets and international trade, forgetting that conflict, instability, and poverty follow in the wake of protectionism. Let's stop there. I happen to agree with that. I happen to agree with that. Go ahead. We've seen the return of isolationist sentiments, forgetting that American security is directly threatened by the chaos and despair of distant places where threats such as terrorism, infectious disease, criminal gangs, and drug trafficking tend to emerge. Well, let's stop. Let's, Let's try and unravel some of this. Isolationism, in all honesty, ladies and gentlemen, does... President Trump appear like an isolationist to you. Do we, know, do we not have uh, nuclear submarines and nuclear aircraft carriers off the shores of North Korea? Now, why are they there? Because we're isolationists? No, because this president has to deal with the failures of Obama and Bush and Clinton and Bush and so forth in dealing with North Korea. Does he get any props for his dealing with Iran? What he did the other day, I'm talking about Trump. Does that sound like an isolationist? Now this word nationalist and nationalism is being thrown around by people who criticize it and people who wear it on their foreheads. The democracy project that President Bush championed was a disaster. Because it's not, it's not a traditional American foreign policy process. Code pink republicanism, on the other hand, isn't traditional Americanism either. There's a a wide area in between radical interventionism, which is pretty much what the Bush position has been, and pretty much what the McCain-Lindsey Graham position has been, And isolationism. And maybe there's been a lot of talk about isolationism, and there sure as hell are a lot of code pink Republicans. But in fact, when you look at the Trump record, I don't see isolationism. Nor do I see radical interventionism. He inherits this ISA problem, he goes after it. He inherits the Taliban problem, he goes after it. He inherits the North Korea problem, he confronts it. He inherits the Iran problem. He confronts it. He's done everything responsibly. And I think part of the problem here here is the McCain, Lindsey Graham, George W. Bush faction of the Republican Party really is out of sync with traditional Republicanism, let alone traditional conservatism. 
And part of the problem is the language. You go, oh, globalism and, uh, and nationalism. These are words that have minimal meaning because they have all kinds of meaning. All kinds of meaning. When it comes to trade, of course he's right. Of course he's right. It is bizarre to hear some people promote the Bernie Sanders economic protectionism program. Which is exactly what the Chinese want, so they can fill the void. Exactly what the Russians want, so they can fill the void. And some of our so-called allies, same thing in Europe. Why would you surrender all these markets that produce things that you and I want? And many of our companies need to in turn produce end products. It's never made any sense to me. Now, of course, you have export controls, and you should. You don't want to sell cutting-edge technology. You don't want to sell um, uranium to your enemies or your adversaries, and you shouldn't, and we shouldn't. But we have an export control regime in place that is supposed to stop those things from happening. But I have to say, President Bush's comments are a little bit self-serving. Just saying, and I'm not attacking him. I think the man is a very genuine, nice man. Go ahead. We need to recall and recover our own identity. Americans have great advantage. To renew our country, we only need to remember our values. Well, what are our values? I get behind this microphone and I talk about them all the time. I write books about them. Does it sound like the Republican Party seeks to renew our values? Is Bob Corker seeking to renew our values? Is Mitch McConnell seeking to renew our values? Constitutionalism? Individualism? Liberty? Unalienable rights? Family and faith? Exactly, exactly what is the Republican Party doing to advance any of those issues? Any of them? I don't see a lot. President George W. Bush continues. Cut 12, go. The American dream of upward mobility seems out of reach for some who feel left behind in a changing economy. Discontent deepened. All right, whoa, 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 whoa. We've always had a changing economy. Now, this is another thing. Why do you use left-wing phraseology? We've always had a changing economy, ladies and gentlemen. There always will be a changing economy. As long as men and women are free to participate in the economy, you're always going to have a changing economy. Some people will always feel left behind. But the great thing about freedom is they don't have to stay left behind. With some effort, with some education, but most of all, it's the effort part, the motivation. You don't have to be left behind, particularly in this country. Private property rights, capitalism, that is, trade among and between ourselves. Isn't that an important value? Go ahead. Partisan conflicts. Bigotry seems emboldened. Our politics seems more vulnerable to conspiracy theories and outright fabrication. I wish he would have put a little bit more meat on that phrase, because I'm not sure what he means. I mean, I understand the fabrication. I understand that. I understand the conspiracy theories. But what exactly is he talking about? And to whom is this addressed? 
The media say it's addressed to Trump. Did he say Trump? Maybe he meant Trump. I don't know what he meant. I don't know who he's talking about. Outright fabrication. Our policies seem more vulnerable to conspiracy theories and outright fabrication. Bigotry seems emboldened. John McCain thinks he was talking about Trump. The media think he was talking about Trump. But the president doesn't say that. Why didn't he give this speech during Ferguson? Why didn't he give this speech during Baltimore? Why didn't he give this speech during the Obama administration? This is what I find incredible to me. It's incredible to me. Cut 13, go. Our identity as a nation, unlike many other nations, is not determined by geography or or ethnicity, by soil or blood. Being an American involves the embrace of high ideals and civic responsibility. We become the heirs of Thomas Jefferson by accepting the ideal of human dignity found in the Declaration of Independence. We become the heirs of James Madison by understanding the genius and values of the U.S. Constitution. We become the heirs of Martin Luther King, Jr. by recognizing one another not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. This means that people of every race, religion, ethnicity can be fully and equally American. It means that bigotry or white supremacy in any form is blasphemy against the American creed. Well, this is what amazes me. Do we need lectures about white supremacy? Is there some great juggernaut in this country building the ranks of the neo-Nazis and the Klansmen? Is there some great juggernaut in this country, cheerleaders for white supremacy? I, I don't even understand this. Where is this great movement of white supremacy? Where is this great movement for white supremacy? Ladies and gentlemen, I'll say it, it does not exist. It does not exist. And I understand why the president says this, because it will draw the attention of the liberal media and it will get a pat on the head. I really do. But it would have been more courageous if he spoke to all the groups that promote bigotry and racism and division and balkanization. But he didn't do that. Where's Antifa? Where's Black Lives Matter? If you're going to list the groups, list them. List them. There is no room in this country for bigotry or white supremacy. Nor is there any room in this country for Antifa. Nor is there any room in this country for white nationalism, black nationalism, uh, organizations and groups promoting segregation. None of it. But he didn't say that, did he? Again, I'm not doing this to condemn President Bush. I'm doing it to address what he said. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, guys, especially some of the young professionals listening, it's important to look and dress professionally at work. The people around you take notice. This is why you've got to check out Charles Tirrett. Every man's closet needs well-fitted clothes for work or going out. 
So what are your options? On one end, you have high-quality shirts, but they're ridiculously overpriced. And on the other end, you've got affordable shirts, but they're out of style and they don't fit right. CT shirts. CT shirts are the best shirts in my closet. The most exquisitely crafted, crease-free shirts. They're British-styled and use the softest fabrics. Tie or no tie, tucked or untucked, you'll get, you'll look great in a CT shirt. Check out this deal. It's a great deal. One CT shirt normally costs a hundred bucks, but right now you'll get three shirts. Three for just $99. That's 60% off. And CT shirts come with free delivery, free delivery, a six-month quality guarantee, and free returns. You're not going to get that in any retail shop and no other, no other uh, firm is going to offer you such a wonderful service. 99 bucks gets you three amazing CT shirts, but you need to hurry. Go to ctshirts.com slash Levin, ctshirts.com slash L-E-V-I-N, that's ctshirts.com slash Levin. All right, let's see how some of you feel about all this. Let us go to David in Philadelphia on the Mark Levin app. Go. Okay, let's go to Sean in Atlanta, the great W-Y-A-Y. Go. Hey, uh, love the show. Think you're a triple threat. Uh, I used to think a lot of Bush, uh, with Trump. I think, uh, less of Bush. Uh, looks like Trump's getting stuff done. Bush just got along. Um, played the game, if you will. I say to people, tell me the difference between politicians and professional wrestlers, you know, other than the uniforms. One guy lobs one thing over the fence, then the other side throws something else. And, uh, Trump's not playing that. He's just doing what needs to get done. Well, and, and don't you find this to be a little odd, this speech? I mean, I, mean, I know the, the Bushies and the Trump haters think this is swell, but I mean, when you try to be objective about this, we had eight years of a disastrous presidency in Barack Obama where he flaunted the rule of law, the Constitution, where he rammed through this horrendous health care bill which has harmed millions and millions of Americans. Uh, he, he, he balkanized the nation in a racial way, and he did it intentionally. Uh, he was very destructive to our military, uh, eviscerated aspects of it, R&D and so forth, very destructive of law enforcement. And he did many lawless things, including DACA and so forth. And, and Bush, largely, didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. Now he gives this speech. Now he gives this speech... I think the speech is uh, is filled with platitudes. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, explanation about exactly what he's talking about. And in some ways, it's contradictory because he's doing some of the things he's criticizing in the speech. But all that said, the timing of the speech, um, as opposed to doing any of this during the Obama administration, same with Corker, same with McCain. There's not a day that goes by now where John McCain isn't trashing something or anything this president does. Anything this president does. Anyway, go ahead, Sean. But I'm not, I see what you're saying, but I'm not as smart as you. From my perspective, it's uh, Trump is the outsider, and he's upsetting the game. So now Bush feels free to take shots where uh, it wasn't part of the script with Obama. Well, that's true. That's a good point. All right, Sean, I appreciate your call. That's true. It's a good point. But I think it's a little bit more than that. I think it's a little bit more than that. Maybe they're upset 
the Bushes, they still haven't gotten over the attacks on Jeb. I think McCain still hasn't gotten over the attacks on him. But, you know, if you're going to put country first and you're going to put policies first and so forth and so on, you, you get over this stuff. This speech that George Bush gave that somebody wrote for him, and I'm sure he edited and so forth, could have been given by anybody. I mean, anybody who is attacking Trump, I assume he's attacking Trump. Um, all right, we'll be right back. of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader Mark Levin Hello everybody Mark Levin here our number 877-381-3811 877-381-3811 now I would like to address President George W. Bush on this immigration issue he is obsessed with massive Immigration. Obsessed with it. The entire Bush family is. John McCain is. Jeff Flake is. In fact, I dare say a majority of the Republicans in Congress have no problem with it. But it is not healthy for a country to have endless immigration. And immigration without assimilation. And we're not having assimilation in this country. Our schools do not teach assimilation. Our schools trash our history. Our media trash our history. Politicians trash our history. The NFL trashes our history. Our buddy Daniel Horowitz over at Conservative Review. He says, uh, in in a piece he wrote uh, today... Here's five important takeaways from the information the Center for Immigration Studies released in a new report this week, which, of course, is all but censured by the big lib media, all but ignored by McConnell, McCain, Lamar Alexander, and, of course, the Bush family. Number one, record number of immigrants, the data, according to census figures. The nation's immigration population, legal and illegal, hit a record 43.7 million in July 2016. But the authors of the report cite DHS data that show the census leaves out an estimated 1.9 million immigrants, meaning the immigrant population is really about 45.6 million. When you account also for immigrants' U.S.-born minor children, that number rises to 60.4 million. Nearly one in five people living in the entire United States. Just 17 years ago, there were only 31 million immigrants. And in 1990, there were 19.8 million. Now there's 60 million. We've never seen, we've never seen, um, let's see here. We've never seen such growth before. Never. While the percentage of immigrants as a share of the population, 13.5%, isn't a record high, it's the highest level since 1910, which was at the height of the Great Wave. That was at a time when the country was still relatively new and, and filling up. The country was relatively new and filling up. Simulation was successful. 
There was no welfare state. And most importantly, there was a shutoff 10 years later. A shutoff. Number two, transformative trajectory. Now, rather than a shutoff, the trajectory under current law will make even the current wave of immigration appear ordinary. Whereas a half century after the Great Wave, thanks to the shutoff, the foreign-born population shrank to just 4.7% of the population, reflective of a very successful generation of assimilation. We are projected to go from 13.5% foreign-born at present to almost one in every five individuals by 2060. Now, why does that matter? Assimilation is a numbers game, much like the melting pot analogy. Immigration is great for everyone when there is a patriotic assimilation. But with one in five individuals already part of an immigrant family and the trajectory slated to skyrocket, it's hard to see how America is not fundamentally transformed beyond anything that happened during the Great Wave. According to Pew, by 2065, by 2065, 36.5% of all individuals in America will be from immigrant families, up from 20% right now. Put another way, although immigration spiked between 1880 and 1920, the shutoff created a dynamic in which, on net, the foreign-born population in the country went down. So that by 1970, 90 years after the beginning of this great wave, the immigration population had only increased 44% in raw numbers. Over that same period, the native-born population increased by 306%. Contrast this to the current wave, and it is coinciding with an even larger wave of new immigrants coming to reinforce the new citizens, anchoring them back to their old culture and values, writes Horowitz. By 2060, 2060, about 25, well, how many years is that? Where are we? Uh, About uh, 45 years from now. 90 years after that benchmark in 1970, the immigrant population is projected to be 715% larger in raw numbers. Over the same period, the native-born population is projected to increase by only 77%. Now, putting aside the numerous factors that make assimilation much less likely than it was during the Great Wave, the sheer numbers alone will void out the concept of a melting pot. Anyone who makes comparisons to the Great Wave is not paying attention. Number three. Mexico is still the king of our immigration system. Mexican immigrants, says the report, legal and illegal, were by far the largest foreign-born population in the country in 2016. Mexico is the top sending country with 1.1 million new immigrants arriving from Mexico between 2010 and 2016, or one out of eight new arrivals. Now, why does that matter, says Horowitz? We're always told by advocates of open borders that the reason we have illegal immigration is because there's not enough legal immigration. Yet Mexico, which is the largest source of illegal immigration, is also the largest source of legal immigration. More than twice as many green cards and citizenship papers are handed out to Mexican nationals every year as to immigrants from the second and third largest groups, China and India. And this trend has persisted for several decades. There's no room for complaint. It is insulting to suggest that America must grant more and more amnesty to illegal aliens and that we have not been generous enough. By my count, says Horowitz, the data in the DHS yearbook on immigration statistics, over the past 44 years, 6.65 million people have immigrated from Mexico legally, not including the 6 million or so illegal immigrants, compared to 4.5 million who immigrated from Italy 
the previous record-keeping country of origin from 1880 to 1929. Why does this matter? Number four. Certain areas are already salad bowls and not melting pots. According to the CIS, the states with the largest numerical increases in the number of immigrants from 2010 to 2016 were Texas, up almost 600,000, Florida, up almost 600,000, California, over 500,000, New York, almost a quarter of a million, New Jersey, over 170,000, Massachusetts, up over 140,000, Washington State, up over 134,000, Pennsylvania, up 132,000, Virginia, and by the way, this has had a major impact on Virginia election outcomes, up 120,000, Maryland, up almost 120,000, Georgia, and so forth and so on. Immigrants now represent more than 13% of the population. The national average in 15 states and more than 17% in seven states. Topping out, ready, at 27.2% in California. This is why a Republican can never win California. It is amazing to me that we have people like George W. Bush and John McCain and others who don't understand we don't have assimilation taking place. Uh, more and more people are coming here with an identity for a leftist agenda, a socialist agenda. More and more people who come here become part of the welfare state. This is a, a, a recipe for absolute national suicide. There's no way to encourage patriotic assimilation when the numbers are so high and concentrated in certain areas. That is plain common sense that policymakers in both parties understood until this generation of policymakers. There are 708 counties, almost one-fourth of all counties, where more than 10% of the population speaks Spanish at home. That number is dramatically higher in certain counties in California. Eleven states have emerging English learning enrollments composing more than 10% of total K-12 student population. And in California, that number is almost 25% where you have to teach English. Fundamental transformation indeed. Finally, item five. The data. The sending country with the largest percentage increase increase in the number of immigrants living in the United States since 2010, Saudi Arabia, up 122%. Seven more predominantly Muslim countries were in the top 15 list. Afghanistan, Syria, Bangladesh, Nigeria, Iraq, Egypt, and Pakistan. Two more, Ghana and India, have a substantial Muslim minority. Overall, the immigrant population from predominantly Muslim countries is 2.8 million, up 29% from 2010. One of the sharpest increases of any group. Of any group. It's simply astounding that there's no modicum of debate or even recognition over how unpredicted our immigration system has changed from its traditional norms and the fact that nobody ever voted for this transformation. I'm responding to George W. Bush, calling all of you nativists, in effect. Horowitz goes on, in 1921, there were unanimity of opinion, there was, among both the general public and politicians. There, there was an urgent need to curtail immigration in order to pass legislation to restructure our immigration system, as happened in 1924. At the time, in order to jumpstart debate, the House unanimously, both parties, passed a bill curtailing immigration across the board. 
There was no recorded vote. The bill passed the Senate 78 to 1. Expressing the universal view at the time, the accompanying report from the House Committee on Immigration and Naturalization said, quote, there is a limit to our power of assimilation, unquote. So this long-term bill was passed in 1924. Its goal was nearly unanimously supported and was enthusiastically signed by President Coolidge. The general success of that effort in ensuring that the great wave was a net positive to America is indisputable. How will history judge our policymakers, however, 50 years from now? Well, George Bush dismisses all this as nativism. Nativism. It has nothing to do with nativism. Not nativism. It's called reason. It's called rationality. It's called looking at the statistics. I guess to use the phrase of the left, George Bush is a denier when it comes to the facts related to immigration. Of course immigration can be successful and helpful to a country. Massive, unbridled immigration, never. Especially without assimilation. How is that possible? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. There's a couple things going on here with Bush and McCain and people of this mentality when it comes to immigration. First of all, if you take up the, the radical left position on immigration, you are lauded as a humanitarian, as compassionate, you know, and so forth and so on. You just are. Um, and people like that. Secondly, there's a political calculation which they won't admit. They have concluded that it is inevitable, inevitable, that America will never stop the massive flow of legal and illegal immigration into this country, and the vast majority of it coming from Spanish-speaking countries. Because those countries, in many cases, are despotic, they are dysfunctional, they are communists, they are socialists, whatever they are. And so they are failed countries and failed societies, which is one of the reasons why assimilation is so important in this country. We don't want to assimilate into those cultures those folks need to assimilate into our culture. But guys like Bush, I'm convinced, and McCain and the others, they know or they believe that it is inevitable that the United States will be fundamentally and forever transformed. And so they want to get out in front of it. They don't want the history books to say of them 50 years from now that they're nativists, quote-unquote, or racialists, quote-unquote, or bigots, quote-unquote, and they know the people who wrote, write most of our history books and teach most of our history are leftists. Are leftists. So it's much easier to adopt the, that uh, mentality and to adopt those policies than not. Than not. Even though they're destructive of a nation state. They're destructive of a nation state. And I will say this. It is unfortunate to me that we have past presidents, Republicans, and past Republican presidential candidates who claim who claim to represent what's best about America, but fundamentally do not understand Americanism. Fundamentally do not understand it. Otherwise, they would object to lawlessness, whether it's in immigration or any other area of our, of our, uh, of our government and society. 
I mean, they should be giving speeches about the importance of following the rule of law when Congress passes it and a president signs it. That foreigners should follow the rule of law if they wish to come to this country. They're still debating like uh, we have some minimal level of immigration. We don't have a minimal level of immigration. As this report from CIS points out, and the, the article by Horowitz points out, we've never seen levels like this before. And it's clear the lack of assimilation that's going on in this country. Look at the NFL. The NFL just sold out to the left. Just sold out to the left. More and more of our institutions are gone. They're devoured. Look at the media. The media is gone. Media are gone. Look at Hollywood. Gone. So we're on defense. And we have individuals who don't really have a problem with that. They don't really have a problem with that. And they want to be in their minds on the right side of history. On the right side of history. And what they mean by the right side of history is not actually being on the right side of history, but being on the right side of historians. Of historians. These policies, if they continue, are going to sink the country. There's simply no question about it. There's simply no question about it. If you believe the American culture and the American civil society is worth defending, then you should support securing our border, deporting people who aren't supposed to be here, at least some of them, and um, enforcing your immigration laws. But they won't do it. And by the way, the worst perpetrators are the courts. We have a federal court in Hawaii who basically, where the judge, a, an Obama appointee and buddy, has basically taken over our immigration system and related national security issues from the President of the United States. He has no authority to do that. He's one out of a thousand judges, but it doesn't matter to him. He's running immigration. He will determine whether or not it is safe to allow immigrants in from one country or another, and so forth and so on. Not the President of the United States. And prior to the presidency of Donald Trump, the President made those decisions. There was never any issue. There was almost no judicial review. It's unfortunate that George W. Bush doesn't talk about that. It's unfortunate about that John McCain doesn't talk about that. No, it's uh, very frustrating. They say they want to talk about American values. Well, let's hear it. Lawless aliens coming into the country, that's an American value? Failing to secure the border to protect the people in this country, that's an American value? Radical interventionism all over the globe, that's an American value? No. Since when is that in America? Since when is any of that representative of American values? I'll be right back. in time for Halloween. The Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi nightmare continues. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Barack Obama slashed the Defense Department. Slashed it. He tied the hands of our troops in the field in Afghanistan and Iraq. He tied their hands when they were fighting ISIS. Barack Obama signed a deal with Iran that ensured that they would have ICBMs with nuclear warheads that could strike the United States. 
Barack Obama was undermining law enforcement through his capo, the Attorney General of the United States, Eric Holder. Barack Obama violated the Constitution of the United States. DACA is a prime example, and a federal judge said so. He violated the Constitution and the law again with illegal subsidies to insurance companies under Obamacare. And a federal judge said so. Fast and furious. No time during this Obama mayhem, during this Obama wrecking ball to this society and our rule of law and the Constitution, did George Bush give a speech like he gave today at no time. Can somebody explain that to me? And it's appalling. It's appalling. And when he was silent, you'll recall on this program, I even said, why is he silent? Why is he silent about what's being done to the military, about what's being done to his his military and foreign policies, and the men and women who fought for them? Shouldn't he be speaking out and defending them? Remember that, Rich? I talked about that. I was stunned. You don't criticize the line from the Bushies. The president says he's not going to criticize a president now that he's out of office. But it's not true. Because he knew the implications would be drawn in the speech he gave today uh, on Trump. And the left is running wild with it. I think it's kind of tawdry and cheap, to be quite frank about it. I really do. Talks about nativism. Nativism, enforcing the rule of law is now nativism. I'm sick of those names. Meanwhile, he says we should treat everybody like human beings. I agree with that, so why are you calling us nativism? Why? And I could go on and on, but he was silent throughout the Obama administration, pretty much. He pretty much was. Just weird. Because it's easy to attack Trump, not so easy to attack Obama. If you're not going to attack, you know, sitting presidents as a former president, why start today? Well, somebody's got to stand up to Trump. Oh, right, somebody's got... Man's under attack constantly. And I don't even agree with everything he does and says. But so what? I want him to succeed. You know, I love my 2010 Camaro. It's reached the age where things are starting to go wrong with it. Now, I don't worry about those problems anymore, though, because I got extended vehicle service protection from CarShield. I did. And getting covered by CarShield is a great idea. It's affordable protection that can save you thousands of dollars for a covered repair. A new fuel pump costs over $500, and replacing a water pump's over $1,000. CarShield even has plans that cover your car's computer, GPS, electronics, and more. CarShield's the ultimate in extended vehicle coverage, and they get your favorite mechanic or dealership paid directly. So you don't pay, and then they say they'll reimburse you. They pay directly. Sign up today and get 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is in the shop. Save yourself from high repair bills. Get covered by a car shield like I did before something goes wrong. Call 800-CAR-6100 and mention code LEVIN. That's 800-CAR-6100, mention code LEVIN, or visit carshield.com, carshield.com, use code LEVIN, that's L-E-V-I-N. And in either case, 
By mentioning me, Levin, you'll get 10% off. That's carshield.com, code Levin. A deductible may apply. All right. Let's see if we can get some, uh, uh, some comments in here, what people think about these various issues. James, Huntsville, Alabama, the great WVNN. Go. Hello? Hello? Yes. Hi, Mark. Um, long-time listener, almost a, a decade now. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Professor, for what you do. Uh, thank you, sir. I've been your uh, former former Army, former Air Force, served during Gulf War One wow. under Bush Sr. And, uh, God bless you. Thank you. Wanted, thank you, sir. One of the things I wanted to point out, I, I don't need to, to instruct you on history lessons, but uh, it seems one of the things that the left has forgotten also from history is what does history teach us about nations with uncontrolled immigration, porous borders, and uh, no assimilation? Well, we can... They we die. Can, to, to the Roman Empire. They oh, fall. That's true. And yes. that is exactly uh, what happened to them. And if we don't watch ourselves... I mean, this is an existential crisis when it comes right mm-hmm. down to it. And they mm-hmm. can deny it all they want. It doesn't make us racist to want to preserve our country. Nope. I agree 100%. And um, we don't have racial quotas in our immigration system. Uh, what we want is to slow it, in some cases stop it, because we need assimilation. And the same left mentality that demands open borders is the same left mentality that opposes assimilation. Because people have to get this through their thick noggins. The left does not support America. That's why they talk about fundamental transformation. That's why they are progressives. America, even on the football field, listen to what people are saying. They do not revere this country. They do not revere the men who founded this country. They do not revere our founding documents. And they they basically tell us that, either by word or action. And James, I want to thank you for your service, my friend. You be well. Todd, Atlanta, Georgia, the great W-Y-A-Y. Go. Yes, uh, I wonder why uh, George Bush kept his mouth shut when five cops were assassinated by Black Lives Matter in Texas, where he lives. And secondly, with the immigration, illegal and legal, you know, these people have no connection to our history, our culture. When I try to talk to them about World War II, what they sacrificed, Korean War, what my family sacrificed, they could care less. They're like, this is just a bunch of old, dead white people. Why does it matter to us? That's their attitude. Mm-hmm. I, I happen to think you're right in many respects. Thank you, sir. Joseph, West Memphis, Arkansas, Sirius Satellite, go. Yeah, hi, Mark. Uh, the reason why Bush didn't criticize Obama is because he's black. I mean, let's, he just ruined the economy. I didn't, know, I didn't know Bush was black. Okay, well, he just ruined the economy. He didn't want that racist label on him, too. He would have never recovered. And... Uh, Another hold on, thing, hold on, hold on. Who would have never? I'm not following this. I'm saying the Bush legacy. He would have never get. You know, the media would have never, ever gave him any time of uh, or good favor towards him. It, it, it would have never came back to him like it did by keeping his mouth shut. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend. Flora, Orlando, Florida. How are you, Flora? Hi, Mark. Uh, great to speak with you. I'm an African-American female, of course, and I don't understand why Bush would get out there. Somebody, please, I'm so confused, and not try and bring our country together 
and say we need to support our president. I worked hard for him here in Orlando. And talk about the divisiveness on the left. And although he didn't say Trump's name, I mean, to me, if it walks like a duck and looks like a duck and talks like a duck and quacks, it's a mm-hmm. duck. He's throwing arrows at our president. And I don't appreciate it. And no one is standing up. None of the Republican establishment. No, no one. And I'm sick and tired of them unloading on him. He's got enough pressure as it is. Mm-hmm. And Bush sat on his hands when Obama had, was a wrecking ball for eight years. Just sat on his right, hands. And, di- and didn't do anything. And you've got these people here in Florida. I mean, I've had, they've called me Oreo. They've called me, you know, mm-hmm. the sellout N-word. Everything. And he needs to be out there trying to bring people together like, you know, my organization is. We're based on the Bible and the Constitution. And those are the only two things that are going to save America. Now, what's your organization? The New Centurions. All right. It's based well, you, on the you, centurion that helped Christ carry the cross when he was crucified. So the Bible and the Constitution, the New Centurions, we'll be putting out a website, and we're talking to people, and we want to convert them to conservatism. All right. Well, you sound like a lovely lady. Thank you, Flora. Much appreciated. Amy, Colorado Springs, Colorado, the great KVOR. Go. Mark, such an honor to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just had a quick comment about General Kelly's speech. I thought it was um, very moving. I'm a military wife, and he always dread getting that knock on the door, that phone call. Um, so I thought that was very moving. And I've been a listener for a while, and you're so, you've educated me so much. I've been kind of watching stuff, and I, I want to get your thoughts. Um, one of the tactics of the left is to blame their enemy, you know, uh, accuse them of what they do themselves. Mm-hmm. And in my estimation, the Democrats hate the military. Hillary Clinton hates the military. Barack Obama hates the military. Trump, in my estimation, he did nothing wrong. I don't think he meant any ill will towards the military whatsoever. Of course not. Of course not. It does. It's not even rational. There's, there, the hate and the venom for this guy is so out of control uh, that you have these irrational, you know, attacks on him. It's just unbelievable. Go ahead. It is, and you know, I, I just see that I, I can't imagine Hillary Clinton handling this kind of situation. Um, so, you know, I, as, a, as a military wife, I know what the president meant, and he meant no ill will. And General Kelly's speech, I thought, was absolutely wonderful. And All I, right, I my, thank you for yeah. for playing that. Well, thank you, and uh, thanks to your husband for his service as well. Let's slip another one in here. Mario Parsippany, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Hey, Mark, how are you? I, I just I just find it funny that the left blamed uh, George Bush for every single problem in the country for over eight years, and now he's their hero because he's speaking out against Donald Trump. No, no. First, he's their hero because he never said a word about Obama. Yeah. Secondly, he's their hero because he gave this speech today, and they're insisting that they're, he's talking about Trump, even though Bush... You know, should have, if that's what he meant, should have said what he meant. So uh, but obviously, it, yeah. Go ahead, Mario. All right, so my friend. <laughs> All right. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
big announcement in a week or two. Even Mr. Producer doesn't know what I'm talking about. In a week or two, I may have a big announcement. Maybe three, I don't know. Big, 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 big announcement. Um, let's see. Oh, you've heard me talk about my buddy Kyle Cox, right? The owner of Blindster.com. Well, Kyle is an American success story. He came up with the idea of selling online, high-quality, do-it-yourself window treatments several years ago. And now the big corporations are trying to copy him. But don't be fooled by those corporations. Blindster.com, that's blinds, T-E-R.com, is the only company I endorse for custom blind shades and shutters. Why? Well, it's a mom-and-pop business, the kind that makes America the greatest nation in the world. And because Kyle showed me that I could measure for and install custom-made blinds myself. And if I can do it, you can do it. And because you'll always get Kyle's personal fit or free guarantee. What does that mean? Well, if for any reason your blinds don't fit, even if it's your mistake, Blindster will make the new sizes needed for free. You only pay for shipping. That's pretty darn good, don't you think? And to top it off, my buddy Kyle gives my listeners, you, 40% off. Just enter promo code MARK at checkout for 40% off your entire order. That's Blindster.com, BlindsTER.com, promo code MARK. Blindster.com, promo code MARK. By the way, over in China, President Xi has now uh, eliminated all of his competition, all of his opponents, even those who were passive toward him. He's cleaned them all out. Now, he is the dictator of China. Let there be no mistake about it. Xi is the dictator of China. It's even worse than that. It is their intention in the next 20 years to be the most powerful country on the face of the earth, under Xi. Meanwhile, McCain is attacking Trump. Bush is attacking Trump. Corker is attacking Trump. This guy, Xi, must love every minute of it. Putin must love every minute of it. But Xi, he gave a three-hour speech, Castro-like speech. And all kinds of praise was heaped on him, and there was cheering and crying. And he talks about a prosperous, modern, socialist country for a new era. So uh, that's what we're up against. It is a very, very dangerous country under a very, very dangerous man. They have a massive population. Um... And I just want our football players to understand, you take a knee over there and you are kneecapped. They won't tolerate it for two minutes. Just just want folks to know. So the, the Central Committee, the Central Committee has made Comrade Xi Jinping its uh, ultimate leader. It's ultimate leader. There was a time when uh, Thomas Friedman, who I think has won 12 Pulitzer Prizes, which tells you what those are worth. Uh, but seriously, like three or four. And I can't read his stuff. It's so crappy. So so insipid. Uh, there was a time when he, and I wrote it in, I quoted him in one of my books, praised the Chinese system. Wished our system was more like it. This is what we're surrounded with, these schmucks. They go on and on about freedom of the press, and then they, uh, they revere these kinds of... Uh, uh, hostile regimes, hostile to individuality and liberty, and certainly the press. Uh, Xi Jinping has obtained the heartfelt love and respect of the entire party, army, and people. Now, I want you to listen to this. 
So they put the Communist Party first, the Communist Army second, and the people third. Much like our Democrat Party, except there's no army support there. They put their party first and the people second. See what I mean? Officials lavishing praise on the party's top leader at a Congress is not unusual, but overt displays of emotion or personal adulation are rare. So you see what's going on here. So here we have another dangerous dictator, communist dictator, fascist. Mark, those are contradictory. No, they're not really, actually. Uh, another day I'll explain it. But here we have a fascist communist who is now in charge of all of China, massively has built up its military, is massively aggressive, uh, has stolen enormous amounts of our technology, and uh, is screwing us every way imaginable. Very, very dangerous man. And, of course, Congress is meeting in an emergency session to increase defense spending. Actually, they're not. Why is that? What are we focused on? Illegal aliens, saving Obamacare from the people, uh, making sure our border is open, driving up the debt, you know, all that kind of stuff. Impeaching the president while our enemies collude, while our enemies become increasingly more powerful and aggressive. Rex, Tom's River, New Jersey, the great WABC, go. Good evening, Mark. How are you? I just wanted to comment on the um, Bush comments today. I think he's remained silent for the last eight years because it's recently the um, establishment's taken some hits. Corker, for one, and some of the others, uh, McConnell for another. And Trump seems to be kind of wagging them a little bit. I think Bush came out in defense of the establishment Republicans. I think that's a good point. He is one of their leaders, right? Exactly. All right, Rex. I like this, Rex. It's Tillerson I can't stand. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I'll give you a prime example, folks, of how the Republican Party and uh, Washington work or really don't work and why I listen to Bush's criticism and it falls on deaf ears with me now John Cornyn of Texas is very tight with the Bush family he is a moderate Republican from a conservative state this is from Axios John Cornyn holds up top White House nominee Texas Senator John Cornyn is frustrating both administration officials and conservative movement leaders by holding up the confirmation of Russ Vaught to be Mick Mulvaney's right-hand man at the Office of Management and Budget. Cornyn, a member of the Senate leadership that has a strong say over the floor schedule, has made it clear that Vaught will be held up until he gets more funding for Texas hurricane relief, according to three sources close to the situation. It's unclear how Cornyn has phrased his demand or how much extra money exactly he's asking for, but his message has been heard loud and clear by top Trump officials. 
Cornyn's office didn't respond to multiple requests for comment for this story. Sources said the next supplemental bill, and therefore Vought's confirmation, could be held up for at least another month. I mean, truthfully, folks, who is it that's operating in, in grotesque manners around here? This matters because Vought is a top White House priority and is considered a leader in the conservative movement. Social conservatives rallied around him, and his profile exploded after his confirmation hearing in June when he clashed with Senator Bernie Sanders over his religious beliefs. Vaught wrote a blog post in which he described his Christian faith and said that those who do not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior stand condemned. Sanders then accused him of racism and bigotry because of that post. Look, that's fine. People with various religions can, can believe certain things and make certain statements. So what? Mark, what do you mean? Do you feel condemned? Of course I don't feel condemned. I'm Jewish. Jews don't feel condemned. Buddhists don't feel condemned. Hindus don't feel condemned, and so forth and so on. But this is the man's belief. A senior conservative congressional aide texted Axios, It is unfortunate Senator Cornyn is holding Russell Voigt's nomination hostage for more emergency funding for Texas. That a member of Republican leadership would block such an integral member of the president's team at OMB is disturbing. Congress has already approved two tranches of emergency supplemental appropriations without corresponding offsets, both of which were supported by Senator Cornyn. Yet blocking an important nomination like the nominee for deputy director at OMB only breeds further disdain among the conservative movement and Senate leadership. He doesn't care. Now, I am hoping that we primary John Cornyn. Why? Because we really need a solid constitutional conservative. He's a lightweight. He's a McConnell mouthpiece. He's a lapdog. Can you think of anything significant John Cornyn has done as a United States senator? Can you think of anything he has said that is significant? When he speaks, you can even barely hear him. He got like 60% of the vote in his primary, maybe 70%, against somebody who was barely known and had no money. That's what we call a weak candidate. Mr. Cornyn of Texas. Now in Virginia, this is even in the Washington Compost. Listen to this one. Virginia Democratic gubernatorial hopeful Ralph Northam, this guy's a lightweight nobody, omitted any mention of Justin Fairfax, the party's African-American candidate for lieutenant governor, from about a thousand pieces of campaign literature, which Fairfax called a mistake. The incident has stoked tensions within the Democratic ticket, threatening to alienate African-American voters three weeks before Election Day. Don't worry, they're bringing in Obama. I'm reading, they're bringing in Obama to help with the black vote. I mean, have you ever heard anything so stereotypical in your life? But let's be clear. The Democrat running for governor in Virginia is the lieutenant governor. He's done nothing. He's a no-show. He's running on a ticket, which includes an African-American, Justin Fairfax, who's running for lieutenant governor of Virginia. And his name is missing from thousands of pieces of campaign literature. Your running mate is missing from thousands of pieces of campaign literature. I'm sure that we're going to have a knee taken in football this Sunday in objection to Ralph Northam. The palm cards with photos of Northam and Attorney General Mark Herring were produced for canvassers with the Labor's International Union of North America, LIUNA, which asked that Fairfax be excluded because it did not endorse him. 
Fairfax has spoken critically of two proposed natural gas pipelines that the union supports. The literature was a sliver of the one point. So Washington Compost comes to the rescue. They got to report this. The information's out there. Now they come to the defense. The literature was a sliver. In other words, downplaying it. Of the 1.5 million pieces produced by the Northam campaign, and homes that receive palm cards without Fairfax also receive literature with the entire ticket, the Northam campaign said. So don't worry about it. No big deal. They're not Republicans after all. They're not outsiders. They're just Democrats. The guy's cut out, the lieutenant governor. He's cut off the, uh, off the list. Uh, he happens to be a black man. But don't worry about it. It's not racist. It's not bigotry. No big deal. Uh, Obama's coming to town. Obama's coming to town. No no sweat. Then we have Eric Holder. Did you know Eric Holder's part of the resistance? The resistance. It's it amazing they can use phrases like this. If we in the Tea Party had said we're part of the resistance. Well, what do you want to do? Overthrow the government? Well, what are you going to do? Use the Second Amendment to overthrow the... What, what are you, all armed or something? What do you mean the resistance? you got to love your government. you got to love your country. Don't, don't you appreciate all the entitlements? Hey, hey, what's this? The left is in the resistance. It's their system that they've set up, and they're in the resistance. What a bunch of morons. Eric Holder on CNN yesterday. And that he defends Comey, too. Sure, sure. Drafting an exoneration letter of uh, Hillary Clinton well before interviewing her. What's wrong with that? Cut 14, go. What do you make of him working on this memo in May before he had even interviewed Hillary Clinton? Um, some of the president's supporters and President Trump himself are suggesting, see, the fix was in. He was never going uh, to go after a criminal. Well, you know, I mean... Uh Assuming the facts are as you say. Stop. Assuming the facts are as we say, this this is information that comes out of the FBI. Go ahead. ...about where an investigation is likely to go before you actually speak to the subject of that investigation. Um, That inquiry had been underway for an extended period of time. A lot of resources had been used. A lot of people had been... Um, spoken to, a lot of documents had By been... By the way, uh, keep in mind he was not Attorney General at the time, so he's just like the rest of us. He's, you know, this, this, all this stuff. Just remember, he was Deputy Attorney General in the Clinton administration. Just remember what an absolute partisan hack this man is. And they were handing out pardons like, uh, like, like M&M's. Just handing them out, handing out pardons, pardons left and right, tuning to some of the most atrocious people. Go ahead. And so you can get to, uh, you know, pretty close to the end of an investigation and understand where you're going to go with it. All right, all right, all right, dummy, dummy. Yeah, you are a dummy because you're a hack. How do you get pretty close to the end of the investigation where you don't even interview the target of the investigation or over 20 other key witnesses? You save them to the very end. You haven't interviewed them, none of them. And he's talking about all the resources. So he's a special pleader for Comey, and he's a special pleader for Hillary. That's all. He's a fraud. He's a fake. He always has been. He always has been. How we get to cut 12? Go ahead. Has it been difficult for you to hold your tongue uh, so much, so often, when Attorney General Sessions disagrees with you on so many... Wow, what a, what a penetrating question. Do they ever ask conservatives or Republicans these questions when the Democrats and leftists are in office? It's been difficult for you to you know, hold your tongue with uh, Eric Holder as Attorney General. Has the man Tapper ever asked that question of any Republican during that period? Of course not. 
course not. These are leading questions. These are softball questions to a radical leftist by the name of Holder. Go ahead. Yeah, it is difficult um, to do what I thought was uh, good work, um, work that made the nation better. Um. Well, you may have thought that, pal, but you're deadly wrong. What you did in uh, Baltimore and the people who are paying the price for that and so much else of what you did, Fast and Furious, I can think of many, many more. You were a disaster. Notice, notice Jake Tapper treats him so kindly. This is a man who unleashed his investigators against the media against the AP and Fox, and probably more, who unleashed his investigators. Now, Trump hasn't unleashed investigators against the media to, the ex- to any extent that we're aware of, and yet he's the greatest threat to the media ever. They didn't hear George Bush talk about that. But Tapper, who you know, decries these attacks on the media, he's talking to the man who is responsible, responsible for attacking the AP and Fox. Go ahead more adjust and to see those policies being um, you know taken apart is something that uh, has been hard to watch at the same time I've tried to be respectful um, and um, only when certain lines have been crossed have I um, raised my voice but yeah it's been a difficult thing um, to watch and um, it means that I, I think I have to be a part of the resistance and to try to save as much of the great work I think that we did as is possible and to try to ensure that's that, what are you joke How's he part of the resistance? He's making a fortune as an attorney in the private sector, pushing his left-wing crap. I've got to be part of the assistant, uh, resistance. This guy's been in government most of his life. He was a, uh, a judge. He was a U.S. attorney. He was a deputy attorney general. He was an attorney general. I've got to be part of the, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, resistance. Uh, I, I actually thought we were doing you know, a lot of justice, and a lot of good things. So, so yes, so yes, Jake, uh, thank you for the softball question. It's been very, very difficult yeah, to watch this. Very, very difficult to watch this. So yeah, i got to be part of the resistance. The resistance that's right. i got to be part of, the, you know, part of the resistance. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Ladies and gentlemen, real breaking news. This from the Hill newspaper, John Solomon and Allison Spahn. As he prepared to collect half a million dollars, a half a million dollar payday in Moscow in 2010, Bill Clinton sought clearance from the State Department to meet with a key board director of the Russian nuclear energy firm, Ross Adam, which at the time needed the Obama administration's approval for a controversial uranium deal government record show. Arkady Dravovich. A top aide, damn computer, hold on a second. I'm there, I'm there, hold on. A top aide to uh, Russian President Dmitry Medvedev and one of the highest ranking government officials to serve on the board. You know what's happening? I'm getting spammed here while I'm trying to read this story. Isn't that strange, Mr. Producer? It keeps cutting off. Must be a Rusky out there somewhere. Let me start. I can't read off this. Kill the music. I'm going to have to do it after the break. I'm going to have to print it out. My computer will not allow me to read this article. And there's no conspiracy. I'm just saying my damn computer will not allow me to read this article. But it's a big deal. You know what? I know it's live radio for those of you who get it live. Let me try 
one more time. Hit the music. Here we go. All right, let me try. Okay, we got another email. As he prepared to collect... Hold on now. Hold on now. Hold on now. Here we go. Mr. Producer, thank you. He cut and pasted. As he prepared to collect a half a million dollar payday in Moscow in 2010, Bill Clinton sought clearance from the State Department to meet with a key board director of the Russian nuclear energy firm, Ross Adam. Ross Adam, which at the time needed the Obama administration's approval for a controversial uranium deal, government records show. Arkady Dravich, a top aide to then-Russian President Dmitry Medvedev, and one of the highest-ranking government officials to serve on Ross Adams' board of supervisors. This is massive nuclear power, Russian state-run company controlled, in essence, by Vladimir Putin. Okay? Was listed on May 14, 2010 email as one of 15 Russians. The former President Clinton wanted to meet during a late June 2010 trip, documents show. Quote, in the context of a possible trip to Russia at the end of June, Clinton is being asked to see the business government folks below. Would state have concerns about him seeing any of these folks? Clinton Foundation foreign policy advisor, what, what's with the names? Wrote the State Department on May 14, 2010, using the former president's initials and forwarding the list of names to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's team. The email went to two of Hillary Clinton's most senior advisors, Jake Sullivan and Cheryl Mills. I think I'm part of the resistance now. The approval question, however, sat inside state for nearly two weeks without an answer, prompting uh, the Clinton Foundation foreign policy advisor uh, to make multiple pleas for decisions. I'll tell you what, I'm going to do better than this. I'm going to bring... John Sullivan on the program, the man who broke the story. You have his number, Mr. Producer? Go ahead and call him. We'll bring the author of this column on. This is a big deal. Now it's a direct link. Now what are they going to do? And where's Mr. Mueller and his band of left-wing kooks? Where's Mr. Mueller? All right, you can kill the music. We'll bring John Solomon on. We'll give you the story uh, straight from the reporter. Okay? Joe, Glenrock, New Jersey. Great WABC. Go. Hey, Mark. Uh, you know, you were talking about Eric Holder. Look, I, I testified at his confirmation hearing in 2009. And who are you, sir? Um, his, my father was murdered by the FALN. Oh, you're uh, Joe. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I've been on your show well, before. Tell everyone your last you know, name. Connor. Go ahead, Joe. And, you know, when I... When oh, I well, you Holder, testified against him. Yeah, I testified against him. There was yes. three of us who were invited by the Republicans. Jeff Sessions at the time who actually voted for him. Um, as Attorney General, but I, I uh, testified in front of the Senate Judiciary about his role in the FALN clemencies. And, you know, he's been a hack of the Clintons, Mark, forever. Um, and to see him piously and listen to him piously speak about the great work that he did over the years, well, let me tell you, he released murderers. He played Russian roulette with the American people. You know, he, he, just, he, he took value from my dad's life and other people's by discarding them, that's what his, that's what he did, and that's what he, um, that's the legacy Eric Holder leaves. So you know, when you when you hear that, it's a it's an absolute disgrace. And he signs off on Fast and Furious, which cost the life of an of an American uh, law enforcement official. 
he had played Russian roulette by releasing the terrorists, and then people were killed in Fast and Furious, which was another example of Russian roulette. So, just and, and by the way, all his talk about resistance, he's the one that proposed the pardon for Mark, what was his name? Mark Rich. Mark Rich, yep, yeah, yeah, and you know, he, when the FALN was given their clemency, they didn't request it. He brought it to them. He, he put it together for the Clintons. And one of the terrorists, Oscar Lopez, turned it down. Oh, yes. That's how, that's how dedicated they were. And then but Obama, Obama took care of him. Tell everybody. Yes, exactly. Obama, at the last days of his, um, administration, gave Oscar Lopez clemency, a guy who turned down, uh, freedom before because he was so dedicated to his cause. All was, right, Joe, I gotta run. I appreciate your call. As you know, always. When we return, we have the intrepid real journalist, John Solomon, who's been on the story of the year, maybe of the decade, this massive uranium scandal. Now it's tied to Bill Clinton, in addition to Hillary Clinton. It is a breaking story. It's just released, and he'll be up right after the break. I'll be back. Mark Levin doesn't just read the news, he makes the news. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. John Solomon of the Hill Newspaper, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well, Mark. Good to join you. Well, you have a hot, breaking story right now. You're on top of this uranium scandal. What is new? So tonight we have obtained uh, documents that were released under FOIA that show that uh, Bill Clinton sought permission from his own wife's State Department to meet with a Russian nuclear official who sat on the very company, on the board of the company, that Hillary Clinton was deciding the fate of its Uranium One deal. So Rosatom was the big Russian nuclear entity that wanted to buy these uranium assets in the United States. Hillary Clinton comes back from uh, a meeting with Putin in Medvedev uh, in March 2010, and just a couple days later, Bill Clinton gets an offer for a $500,000 speech to go to Russia. And while he's gone on that uh, trip, he decides, you know, maybe it's a good idea. I'll try to meet with this guy who just happens to sit on Rosatom's board, the right-hand man of the Russian president, uh, Dmitry Medvedev. And uh, he sends it to the State Department saying, hey, guys, what do you think if I meet with this guy? And the State Department says, not a good idea. <laughs> and uh, but it's the first evidence that we had that Bill Clinton was trying to get, you know, near someone that had something to do with uh, uranium one. And isn't it evidence, uh, John Solomon, that the Clintons and others knew exactly what they were doing? In other words, they knew how much was at stake for the Russians. They knew how much was stake, at stake for the United States. The Russians, uh, with this half million dollars for him and his foundation and so forth. That looks like uh, a very well-timed payment, may I put it that way. And Hillary Clinton has always denied knowledge about most of this, hasn't she? Right. She has, yep. How can she not have knowledge about most of this when her State Department's at the center of every piece of this? Well, the, the person that Bill Clinton sent the letter to saying, hey, I'm going to go meet with this Russian nuclear official, if you don't mind, if you don't have any concerns, where it was Hillary Clinton's chief of staff and her chief foreign policy advisor, uh, Cheryl Mills and Jake Sullivan. And, uh, you know, that's pretty high up in the State Department to not have knowledge of what's going on. And you said something, Mark, that's right. If you go back to the Clintons in the 80s and 90s in Arkansas, 
there was an SNL guy named James McDougall that had business before the state, and they have they go into business with him and they do donations with him, all that stuff. In the 1990s, we had the coffees and the Lincoln bedrooms and the Chinese spies all coming into the White House because they had business before the government and the Clintons were raising money for them. And then the Clinton Foundation opens and we have the exact same thing. And when Hillary gets back into power as Secretary of State, it does seem very often people who have a business before the State Department are getting a call from the Clinton Foundation or Bill Clinton or coming up with the idea to give him gifts and money and contributions. And uh, at some point, a pattern becomes a practice. You know, uh, while I have you, let's go back a day or 48 hours, uh, the, the other stories you broke on this subject. Robert Mueller and Jim Comey, what did they know and when did they know it? That is an outstanding question. What we do know is that the FBI, then under Robert Mueller's uh, direction in 2009, developed evidence in 2009, a whole year before the Obama administration, Hillary Clinton, the CFIUS board, gave approval to Russia to get 20% of America's uranium supplied. They knew that the very Russian agency that was seeking the, this uh, uranium was engaged through one of its subsidiaries, Tenex. Rossitan was engaged through Tenex in making bribes, kickbacks, extortion threats, and money laundering across the United States nuclear industry. And, 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 and some of this is pretty serious. One of the people uh, that the Russian nuclear industry compromised with bribes was the head of a company that moved all the enriched uranium in the United States for Russia. Pretty sensitive job. You don't want that stuff going disappearing because they're under a extortion scheme, right? The FBI uh, knows this in 09. They wait to 14 when Jim Comey's finally in charge to finally bring charges. And in the five years between the Obama administration, Hillary Clinton, lots of people made very favorable decisions over and over again, rewarding Russia's uh, Rosatom, the big nuclear energy company, uh, with with this contracts and decisions and uranium sales, while they knew Rossitown's own official in the United States was engaged in bribery. It's a pretty interesting story, and who knew it and when is going to become the question that we'll all be asking in the next few weeks. And the other thing, one of many things, but one of the things that, that is that is noteworthy to me is this also shows the closeness of the relationship with Mueller and Comey. You know, Mueller is handing things off to Comey. Comey's picking it up. Mueller really needs Comey when it comes to these Ukrainian stuff in 2014 to help cover his butt, in my view. And there's another there's another figure that may even have more more uh, more at stake in this, right? The current Deputy Attorney General mm-hmm. of the United States is a guy named Rod Rosenstein. Before he was Trump's uh, Deputy Attorney General, he was Barack Obama's U.S. Attorney in Maryland, and he was the prosecutor who oversaw this case from the beginning to the end. He had the power to decide in 2009 or 2010, we'll bring charges now, and instead he waited until 2014. He now is the guy, because Jeff Sessions has recused himself, that oversees the Trump-Russia investigation. And, and, you know, Senator Grassley asked a great question of General Sessions the other day. He said, do you think, now that you're going to review this whole Clinton-Russia thing, that realistically Rod Rosenstein can oversee a review of his own conduct? And that's a great question for all of us to ask. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've also reported that Mr. Mueller and Mr. Comey did not inform the appropriate members of Congress about any of this. That's right. We talked to Rep. Mike Rogers, who was the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee at the time. That's the committee that the Clinton administration ran to right away, right, when they found out there was some meddling going on in the 2016 election. They went and told all of the intelligence committees. But when uh, the Russians were trying to compromise our nuclear security, no one thought to tell the House Intelligence Committee at that time. And so Mike Rogers said, I knew nothing about this. This is an outrage. I learned just a few hours ago, Mark, 
that the current House Intelligence Committee, run by Devin Nunez, has begun an investigation into why Congress wasn't alerted and who else didn't know about the nature of this nuclear um, security compromise that was going on. What about the Senate Intelligence Committee with this Richard Burr? They seem to be uh, very slow to jump on these matters. Well, you know, the Senate's a more deliberative body, and I guess our founding fathers probably intended that. Some days it feels so deliberative. It feels but it's more a committee. Right? It's yeah, a committee. But the, the culture infects the whole committee, right? Again, it affects the whole body. It's slow and it's plotting, and there's all this gentlemanness. Uh, but I heard something the other day that I think is going to turn out to be true. I think the committee plans to wrap up its work by the end of the year. And if it does, if they haven't produced any evidence of collusion by now, the chance that they are going to is pretty slim. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Senate Intelligence Committee wrapped things up by December. Mm-hmm. Now, where are we on this this uh, uranium thing? I mean, um, here's my question to you. Jeff Sessions is a friend of mine. I like him very much. Sure. I don't talk to him about any of this stuff. And so, Why do I feel like they're so passive over there about getting to the bottom of a number of these issues? Am I wrong? I don't know. You know, uh, there's an awful lot of investigations going on, right? There's an investigation of the deputy director of the FBI and why he took, why his wife took $700,000 from a Clinton friend when they were investigating the Clintons, right? There, there's a lot of different things going on. And I think what, um, Jeff Sessions said the other day, yesterday in, during the hearing with Grassley might make some sense, which is, you know what? I'm not going to answer everything right now. I'm not going to leak everything in the public. Uh, we're going to be disciplined, and we're going to get to all these issues, and we're going to answer them. And he assured Senator Graciesti he would review this entire Clinton matter and get mm-hmm. back to the committee with answers. And I think there's a big moment that everyone should be watching for in the next few weeks. Last night, Senator Grassley sent a letter demanding to interview the undercover FBI witness who for five years was around all the Russians making bribes, trying to win influence with the Clintons, get the Obama administration decisions made. If he is allowed to testify, from my reporting, I think he has enormously explosive allegations that have not yet made the public about what um, influence peddling was going on, what curing a favor was going on, and what the Russians were telling him about who they bought off and why they bought him off. I think if he gets to talk, we're going to have one heck of a hearing and a whole new uh, scenario for evaluating Russia's intrusion into the nuclear industry. Well, they better protect this guy because a lot of these uh, people uh – Somehow Vladimir Putin or the uh, Russian government, somehow they disappear, if you know what I mean, or somehow they, they, they don't get up the next day. Yeah, so I'm not yeah, a conspiracy so. theorist, but then again, I'm not an ignoramus, well, and I see what we, takes place. Yeah, well, here's something that the Obama Justice Department didn't do. They didn't try to protect him very much last year. In fact, they threatened him. Uh, we uh, had emails that we reported yesterday, Mark, that showed that when this gentleman tried to sue the Russians to recoup some of the money that they stole from him in the kickback scheme while he was helping the FBI, mm-hmm. the Justice Department called his lawyer right away, and they said, this is a quote from the lawyer's memo, if your lawyer does not withdraw uh, that lawsuit, we are going to, quote, harm his reputation and his freedom, his liberty. Uh, the Justice Department tried to silence him. The threat was so serious that the, the undercover withdrew the lawsuit, gave up his right to recoup his money because he was afraid the Justice Department was going to hire him. That doesn't sound like a Justice Department that we would all be very proud of. No, that's incredible. Uh, but he's got good counsel, Victoria Tonsing, who worked in the Reagan Meese Justice Department for many, many years. She does, and a former uh, chief counsel of the Senate Intelligence Committee, somebody who knows how to navigate these tricky waters. I know you need to go soon, so maybe in 60 seconds. These issues get a lot very complicated for people, and, and much of the media try to cover it up as long as they possibly can. What is the bottom line here, as, as you would explain it? 
I think it's pretty simple, which is the United States made a series of decisions that greatly benefited the Russian nuclear industry at a time when the United States knew the Russian nuclear industry was engaged in the worst type of crimes, extortion, money laundering, uh, uh, bribery, and kickbacks. And there's a great question why, and that question is, is it because all these people like the Clintons were getting gifts and lobbying firms were getting hired and kickbacks and bribes were going on? If so, we have six years before anyone envisioned the 2016 meddling, we had a real meddling with our nuclear security, and people should really care about that. All right. Keep up the good work and, you know, keep looking over your shoulder. <laughs> thanks, Mark, and thanks for the all right, John. my story. Appreciate it. God bless. You be well. I'm telling you, this is uh, very, very serious stuff, which is why you won't see it on MSLSD or CNN. Not yet. You know, friends, it's hard to believe that 2017 is almost over. Time doesn't stand still. So don't waste another minute. Join AMAC right now. AMAC is the Association of Mature American Citizens. It's the leading conservative voice for Americans age 50 and up. Now, some of you may be members of the AARP. You know this is a left-wing, big-government, Democrat operation, right? You know you're contributing to it, and you're contributing to their politics, which, of course, is also left-wing. You don't need to do that anymore. AMAC has resolved to continue their mission to restore America's moral compass, to make America a better place for our children, to save America from the left. As an AMAC member, you'll also gain access to a variety of exclusive discounts and benefits that will help you save a lot of money. From car insurance and Medicare plans to discounts on hotels and car rentals and more, AMAC is the organization to join. A voice for conservatives in Washington, exceptional benefits. What's not to love about that? So I strongly encourage you, join AMAC right now. Go to www.amac.us. That's www.amac.us. Or call their toll-free number, 888-262-2006. That's 888-262-2006. The Association of Mature American Citizens, the benefits are great, but the cause is even greater. Join AMAC today. You know, I'm a big fan of Jeff Sessions, so uh, I think John Solomon's probably right. It might seem quiet right now, but if he's launched investigations, they're not going to make a public uh, spectacle of it. And I'm hopeful that that's exactly what's going on. I want to tell you about a brand new sponsor. A brand new sponsor, Captira. Captira. Here's something I've realized. There's a software solution to just about every business need. And you can find yours at captira.com. That's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A. Like it sounds, Captira. Whether you're a startup looking to keep better track of customers, a nonprofit hoping to have a record fundraising year, or a business that simply needs better payroll software, Captira's got you covered. Captira has over 400 categories of business software for you to choose from. Anything from email marketing to scheduling to accounting and beyond. Captira makes it easy to find what you're looking for. They have thousands of ratings and reviews from actual software users just like you. So you can check them out. Best of all, using Captira is absolutely free. Captira connects you with the business software that will help you do what you do better. 
Visit Captira.com slash Levin. Let me spell it again. It's a brand new, wonderful uh, sponsor with a wonderful service. C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A, like it sounds. Captira.com slash Levin. Captira.com slash L-E-V-I-N. Visit them today and join the millions of people who use Captira. That's Captira, C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash Levin. I really want you to check it out. Captira.com slash Levin. This is a wonderful sponsor. I spoke to these folks a couple of weeks ago. They explained their service to me, and it's actually quite brilliant. This is a clearinghouse for you to show you all the varieties of software that are available to you, how people rate them, the reviews that they give them, uh, to help make your business more efficient and more profitable and more successful. And not just businesses, charities too, churches. Whatever your organization is. And uh, it's just an outstanding service. I really would encourage you to check it out and to use it. It's free. Captira.com slash Levin. C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash Levin. Very, very cool. I'm uh, really, really thrilled about our new sponsor. Well, let's take some more calls. Mac, Mac, Sacramento, California, the great KSFO. Go. Hey, Mark, once again, thank you for taking my call, and I need your help. I need your help. I'm an African-American. People in my community and my realm of influence, they don't have a Well, can I slow down a second? I I read somewhere that white people cannot give black people advice. (laughs) No, that's not true. That's not true. No, 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 I read read this. It has to be true. I think a sports guy, somebody said it. No, it's, it's not true. I listen to your show all the time, and I listen to Sean Hannity. And well, well, listen, Mac, I take advice from whoever has smart advice. I don't really care what the race is. I don't know about you. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. That's why I'm on your show. Thank and you, I'm trying to, I'm on a mission to educate and flip as many thousands of African Americans as I can before the next election. There's so much at stake, right? And the people, again, that I'm uh, talking with, you know, they don't have a clue about the issues. They don't know anything about the Uranium One and the Clintons and, and, and that, that whole um, um, scandal. Right. They don't understand how Barack Obama dismantled uh, a lot of the American uh, traditional values, marriage being one of them. They, mm-hmm. they, they don't have a clue that most of the cities in the United States with high murder rates are ran by Democrats. And so I'm on a mission to educate as many as I can, and I need your help. Um, as I explained to you um, earlier, uh, I think last week, you inspired me to write the song, Stand For My I know, but I can't, I can't promote your website every single week, you know. Here's what I want to recommend strongly. Go on Mark Levin Show Facebook and post it. Post your site there, and people will see it, okay? Go to Mark Levin Show Facebook, post it, and anybody can do this, too, assuming it's, you know, legit. And that's the best way to do it, Mac. I appreciate your call very, very much. I appreciate what you're doing, too. Jim, a trucker in California, Sirius Satellite, go. Hey, great show. Love it. Long-time listener. I have a question. I don't understand why Sessions and everyone else has to accuse themselves from an investigation, but then you've got Mueller, who's obviously corrupt, and you have uh, Comey that's corrupt, but they don't have to excuse themselves? I, you I mean recuse themselves? Well, of course, if they're corrupt, why would... Hold on now. If they're corrupt, why would they recuse themselves? 
Well, why do we? You answered your own question. Yeah. I I don't understand. Why do we let it happen? Why do we have spies? Well, how do we stop it? Well, I I say we remove them. Well, we, you and I can't remove anybody. Well, I understand that, but as a population, as a voter... All right, my brother. I'm saying we can't remove them, you and I. We just have no way. That's not up for a plebiscite when we go and vote. Thank you for your call, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Check out Levin TV tonight. I know you're going to like it in two minutes, and I'll see you on the radio tomorrow. God bless you.